Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti and this is episode 223 of Yoga Land. Today my guest is Tara Stiles. I was so excited to talk to Tara for a few reasons. First, I don't actually know her personally and that makes the interview a little more nerve-wracking and a little more exciting. And it also meant that I had to do a lot of research about her. And when I did the research, I mean, of course I had heard of her, but I just didn't know her personally. When I did the research, I found out that she is such a multifaceted, interesting person. So if you're not familiar with Tara, she's the founder of Strala Yoga. She has, well, before COVID, <laughs> she's had a successful yoga studio in New York by the same name, Strala Yoga. She co-founded it with her husband, Mike Taylor. They have a little girl named Daisy. And she's always had a really strong online presence. She started a YouTube channel, I want to say 12 years ago. She just started it before anybody really knew what the possibilities were there. So she has 327,000 YouTube followers. She's the author of, I think now seven books. We talk about her latest book on the podcast today. It's called Clean Mind, Clean Body, a 28-day plan for physical, mental, and spiritual self-care. She was a former dancer turned model. The modeling kind of happened. just It was just happenstance. It helped support her early career in the arts. And then she found yoga, didn't really necessarily think she was going to pursue it as a career, but here she is all these years later, and it's just a huge part of her life and her family's life. You know, one of the things that's interesting about her is she's kind of always done her own thing in the yoga world. So like I said, she was early on in YouTube, and as I was researching her, you know, she got a lot of flack for that. People just weren't really ready for it. And she got a lot of flack for not, quote unquote, following the rules and following a tradition to a T. And that takes a lot of courage. I think, you know, 10, 15 years ago when she started, that took a lot of courage. Now it's just so much more the norm to integrate different aspects of different modalities. But it wasn't at that point. So I found her to be so down to earth and so straightforward and transparent. And I just would love to see more of this in the yoga world when people reach the level of success that she's reached. And I asked her about that. And, you know, I asked her about YouTube. And for those of you getting started out there, what advice she has. And she, she offered some great advice too. So this is just an all around interview, getting to know her, as I said, talking about who she is, where she came from, how she got here, what advice she has. And then we talk a little bit about her book as well. Just the last thing I'll say about her approach, her current approach really integrates Tai Chi and traditional Chinese medicine and as well. And oh, Qigong, that was the one that I forgot. And a lot of that is because that's something that her husband has always been interested in. So I find her really inspiring. I left the interview feeling like I'd made a new yoga friend and feeling like we get to figure out what works best for us. And that doesn't mean that we're not discerning and it doesn't mean that we don't respect and follow any aspect of the tradition. But given the fact that no tradition is perfect and no one yoga teacher is God, I think that her overall message is very much in line with what Jason and I try to teach as well. So enjoy the interview with Tara. 
Well, I'm so happy to have you here, Tara. Thanks for being here today. And I'm excited to um, learn more about you. Like you said, more than just what we can all Google about each other on the internet. <laughs> so I like to just start with hearing people's yoga origin story. And I know that you grew up in the Midwest. I know that you were a dancer and that you were introduced to yoga from a dance teacher, but I'd love to know what was your first inner experience of yoga or when did you first feel like, oh yeah, this is, this is good stuff. Yeah, I think I, we probably have the same story, I'm kind of guessing, but I think I, I really disliked on a superficial level so much about my upbringing. I really just wanted to get out and you know, meet people and learn things and learn to dance from you know, esteemed dance teachers. And I was just kind of always cagey and ready to get out. But um, what I didn't realize until I started being introduced to yoga was I had so many things in front of me that already were yoga. Uh, my parents, we were just talking about being frugal from the Midwest, but I feel like that's a very kind of yoga idea as well, you know, using what you need, you know, not taking something you don't need. My parents were kind of straight edge hippies, so they built this passive solar home without a lot of money and we grew our own food and we did all of these things. But I was always reading about the 70s and hippies and thinking, well, you know, my parents never did drugs. They didn't even drink. And I'm thinking, you guys are terrible. <laughs> You're not <laughs> terrible hippies. Yeah. Yeah. So they wouldn't even identify as hippies. So it was just like the last few years I was like, well, you guys are straight edge hippies, the boring kind, but you, you know, you'll have longevity and all of that, I guess. But, you know, they were doing these yoga lifestyle things without the actual physical practice of it. And I remember going to the woods and kind of sitting down with myself and I guess like a yoga like way without a teacher and feeling, I think a similar feeling that we all have at some point, which is, oh my gosh, everything's connected. I feel great. You know, there's this sense of energy in my being and I want to do something purposeful with my life. And how do I move in that direction? And, and how do I find helpers for that? So I guess that was my kind of first yoga feeling. So yeah. I got lucky with the dance program. I was in my ballet teacher, Roy Foster was with ABT in New York in the 70s. And so he was getting into yoga, I guess that kind of generation there. So he brought yoga into our program, which was still pretty new. I mean, dancers now they have, you know, yoga on Fridays and, you know, Tai Chi on Saturdays and, you know, they have all the stuff now, which is yeah. cool. But, but back then, you know, it was still pretty, pretty new. And I remember just walking into the class and seeing it was a guy, seeing him sitting there in the front of the room, just happy for no reason. And I thought, that's the thing that I want. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it wasn't even about the movements or anything. It was just that, that feeling. That feeling. I thought, man, you know, he can't be making a lot of money doing this. Like he's happy, you know, no one's even paying attention to him. He's not getting anything from people, but he has this inner happiness. And when he led the class, it was a super simple kind of Hatha yoga class, you know, nothing overly stylized or interesting at all. But I remember feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm in my own spaceship to anywhere. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. And then my second thought was, why don't all my friends do this? Why doesn't everybody do this? This is amazing. So I just remember being so excited and also curious. And why is this, you know, technology or whatever you want to call it, this practice, not just part of life. And then, yeah, but I think we're all kind of on this quest to make it more a part of life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's really great that like you had that feeling right away. And like you said, I mean, when you walk into a space like that and someone is there kind of holding the space in a totally different way than what you're accustomed mm. to, it's palpable. I want to go 
for a moment. I, I didn't know if I was going to bring this up, but you talked about being a kid. So I want to bring it up. I feel like I read somewhere that, and I don't know if you identify it as synesthesia, but that you like as a kid would, you would see colors or associate colors with things. I would love to know more about that. Yeah. So that was part of that whole kind of experience as well. And I remember you know, just being a little kid and when my parents would close my door at night, when it was really dark, I could have my eyes open and still see, I would describe them as kind of like neon, but non-abrasive and like a roller coaster and things that I would, you know, see in science class later as kind of DNA spiral and stuff like that. But I just assumed, you know, this was, I had no reference point that, that this wasn't just everybody's experience before yeah. bed kind of a thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which I think kind of is when you feel calm and comfortable, you have some sort of, I'm okay, whether it's a visual or more emotional or something. But actually it wasn't until I, I was doing stuff with Deepak Chopra and kind of in his world and, you know, asking to be invited to his conferences so I could just sit on the floor and learn stuff from people. And yeah. Dr. Rudy Tanzi was talking about neuroscience and I had this kind of weird gut feeling like, oh, I can ask him about this and he's not going to think that I'm strange or he's going to maybe talk to me about this. So, you know, the funny thing that happened was the woman organizing everybody's ride back to the airport gave me a little piece of paper and she said, you're going to be sharing a cab with, with Rudy Tanzi. I'm like, perfect. I can ask him. So I, I remember asking him and he's like, yeah, I took your class. I gave like a class at the little conference and, and that's what you're talking about is that experience and, and how you like to share yoga. And you can, you know, he was, he knew that I was going to say that in a way from how I felt to him and his mm -hmm. observations of me. So it was very easy to talk to him about. And he's like, yeah, there's actually a word for that called synesthesia. And I'm like, yeah. is there a problem with my brain? Are you saying I'm going to have a stroke or something? I know. Right, right, right. It sounds scary. Yeah. When I you put a label on it. Yeah. I think it's so fascinating. A lot of people who identify as neurodiverse have synesthesia. Mm. I don't know if you knew that. And like neurodiverse is such a huge umbrella these days. But I think it has to do with um, like heightened sensory systems. I mean, I don't think anybody truly knows the answer, mm -hmm. but it does make sense to me that, that someone who has been on the path that you're on, that that was like a natural experience for you because... I do think a lot of people who are very sensitive are drawn to yoga. <laughs> you know, yeah. we're like trying to figure out how to balance it all because there's just so much input. So yeah, I just, I love that. I love that you had that. I, when I've read about it, I've thought, did I ever have that as a kid? And I'm like, no, I never did. <laughs> it's not, not well, that I think it's, I don't, the more I think about it, the more universal the idea of, of that feels. I mean, I was talking to Eddie Stern the other day about a project he's doing. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, that first kind of yoga getting into it. And, and we both kind of talked about the feeling as remembering. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense yes. to me when you, it's not like you learn yoga, like, yeah, you learn the, how to do the things and there's the stuff and you need the structure in order to get the feeling like the glass needs to have the glass in order for the water not to go on the floor. Like that makes sense. But yeah. you know, that remembering I think is so universal, whether it's, you know, a visual thing of colors. I mean, that's why I don't like to share it because it feels like, oh, I see. <laughs> it sounds so like pretentious, but I feel like, you know, everybody has some sort of like, oh yeah, I felt really, you know, whether it's in the flow or yep. connected or that's when, you know, if somebody's a prolific songwriter, that's when I came up with this, you know, song or I, you know, I did my thing that only I can do. So right. I feel like it is kind of, it's like flow you know, state, get there. <laughs> deep intuition. But no, I love, I actually love that characterization of yoga. I think about that all the time when I'm feeling like just really disconnected. 
And then, you know, I get on my mat and I do a practice and it's like, oh, I remember myself again. Mm. That is just so perfect. Like it's the, it's the remembering process. We, it was always there. We just didn't necessarily, we forgot. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So when you moved to New York, you did get out. You said you're, you were cagey. I can totally relate to that. Like a hundred percent. I think I knew I was going to leave Pennsylvania when I was probably about 12, you know, just, I just, I just knew. So when you did move to New York, did you try to make it as a dancer? Was that like, were you like, I'm going to do this, this dance thing? (laughs) Yeah. Flash dance. No, yeah. I was already doing a bunch of things. So I had, you know, this experience with my dance program and I loved it. I remember, you know, I got this opportunity. uh, Somebody came to see me dance and it was an agent for like modeling. And I'm like, what's that? Like, aren't these models like, they're like, no, no, you can do this. And I'm like, what do you mean I can do this? What I had, I was just an idiot from Illinois. You know, I had no idea. So actually it was, uh, her name was Marie Anderson Boyd and she was very nice to me. And she said, well, I can send you to Italy and, you know, I'll pay for your plane ticket and then you'll have to pay me back. And it sounded like slave labor. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I really want to dance. So I'm going to stay here. What can, is there anything I can do here? And she's like, well, Chicago is a very, you know, commercial market, but I can send you on some, some castings. And I was like, what's a casting? Is that something with fishing you know, or something? <laughs> and she says, no, you go and, you know, a bunch of people go and you see if you get the gig. So I got this gig for like Coca-Cola to be on the Coke machine with like four other, you know, kind of teenager kids, thumbs up kind of a thing. And it was like $5,000. And this was more money wow. than I've ever seen, you know, obviously in my entire life to that point. So I said, okay, this is interesting. And, you know, how can I maybe use this a little bit to, to buy me some time while I dance a little bit, maybe yeah. I can kind of figure out what I want to do. So it was, a, it was kind of a, a crisis in a way because I thought dance was going to be my thing. And then my ballet teachers, his wife was kind of swooping in and seeing me, you know, come and go and do these gigs here and there. And she was telling me, you know, you should follow your intuition with this. And I think you're probably going to do a lot of things. And to me, that was heartbreaking. Like, oh, am I not, should I not dance? Because this is what I prepare my whole life to do. Yeah. So when I, by the time I got to New York, I was, I was dancing in, in some weird things. Like my first gig for dance was a Matthew Barney movie, but it was, it was all the Rockettes and this other girl and me, and we were, you know, four weeks of rehearsal. And then we were in this weird thing in the Guggenheim. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's so fun. So, So yeah, I had this fun life where I could, I was dancing and I was doing some more theatrical contemporary work. And then I would, you know, run off for like a lady footlocker ad and then do uh-huh. this and then do that. And kind of like, and you, you can know, actually eat mo- because you yeah, had the lady lighting all these different ways. <laughs> yeah. And, and able to, because of being frugal, like I'd get a check in the mail and just make sure it would j- only go to my rent. You know? <laughs> so, totally. so I just kind of did that for a while. And I was obviously interested in yoga. And back then, I mean, this was 1999, there wasn't, I wasn't finding much, you know, I'd find something on a flyer or there'd be an institution and I'd go once and it would be strange. (laughs) (laughs) But I loved the idea of it. But then I realized, oh, yoga is, you know, there's this way and these people don't like these people and these people want to do it like that. And I just assumed everybody who taught yoga was some sort of amazing angel from planet Zoltar and a nice person. So, you know, I guess I was seeing the beginnings of all of the things that come out 20 years later of like, oh, that was a bad person. Like you didn't see that from a mile away. (laughs) You had a deep intuition though. Like you, I mean, seriously, because clearly in any sort of organizational system, like 
doctrine. There's always the potential for abuse. And, but I guess, I don't know. I'm like one of those naive people that certain things have really shocked me over the years. And I think you were kind of ahead of your time and maybe saw some things that you just saw underneath some things that maybe, maybe other people didn't, didn't see, which good for you, you know, <laughs> like good for I don't you. Know. I mean, I, yeah, I think there was a lot of great teachers that I actually did find, but they weren't the famous ones with the big systems and all of this and all of that. So yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's like a human problem, right? Anything yeah, that creates yeah. great power, you know, yoga is amazing and so transformative. And if you have a teacher of that, you know, if you come up to that teacher and say, I feel amazing, if, if they're a good person, they're going to say, oh, well, you did that for yourself. And if right. they have any imbalance, they're going to say, I did that for you and follow totally. me down the weird road and, you know, all of these things. So, yeah, I just, I think also because I was busy doing so many other things, I, I was, I felt like I could dip in and dip out and I was very much going to every place, but I didn't feel like I was ready to join in, in any of the different styles. I loved kind of exploring the different ways and saying, oh, that was funny that that happened, but I still learned something there, but I'm not going to follow that person to their apartment like they asked. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or go to their, you know, retreat at their house, you know, or whatever it was, you know, back then. But but, you know, you know, people did and they liked it and, and that's, you know, maybe fine. I don't know. But I think maybe that's also why yoga wasn't, at least at that time, maybe other people also saw things or bounced out or didn't go in the first place because they thought, well, this isn't for me or I have to already be like this kind of a person in order to enjoy this or eat a certain way. You know, I remember like if you wanted to go to certain places, you had to already be a vegan. Otherwise they shamed you and stuff. And it's like, yeah, okay. Like that's already going to limit so many other people, but that's what they wanted. Yeah. So it's understandable why, you know, yoga wasn't kind of where it is now, which is probably in a better place <laughs> in <Yeah>. some ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, I can relate to what you're saying, you know, on a personal level, like I definitely, when I got really hooked, I was, I was Ashtanga yoga. So that was definitely a system, but it's interesting. Like I heard, this was in the nineties and I heard people come back from Mysore and talk about some of the abuses of Patabi Joyce, like in the class. In mm. fact, my teacher at the time, um, apparently called him out on it, like, like in the middle, she was like this total badass. She had a shaved head, you know, mm. and she just in the middle of being adjusted by him said like, do not touch me there. And he said, bad lady, you know, like never come back. And so I was like, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this. Like, you know, I can, mm -hmm. I can take, I can take this class and the system from her, but I'm not going to like mm -hmm. get deep into the thing. And so, and I've never been someone who could ever get deeply into like one system, mm -hmm. which like you said, it's nice because if you, I always called myself a yoga mutt. Like if you can kind of go to different, take different parts and pieces and put them together for yourself, mm -hmm. it feels pretty good. But it's like, I, I am impressed that you were able to do that, like you said, 20 years ago, and then kind of at your age and then kind of put it all together and start a studio. Like, how did you know that that was a calling for you? Or how did you make that happen? How did you, what was it inside of you that was like, yeah, I'm going to do this and screw everyone else if it's not like their system, you know? I, oh my God. I know. I wish I had you as a friend back then because I felt like I had no friends inside of yoga, but I had friends many friends outside of yoga that wanted to do yoga. So that was plenty enough. I never wanted to do that with my time. I thought that that would tie me down too much. Like, oh, then I have to be somewhere every week at this time. And for me, that was like, whoa, that's too big of a commitment. Like I want to be able to <laughs> do anything. So 
But I remember on all of these different opportunities that I was at, I would always talk to people about yoga and I would always get the same response like, oh, I can't do that because of this, this or this or some bad feeling they had about themselves. And then I would literally take them through a little routine and, you know, five minutes or whatever we had. And they would say, I feel better. And I'm like, yeah, it should help you feel better. (laughs) (laughs) I just was, I pulled in by that kind of not very happily, to be honest. Like I didn't want to do that. I wish I could just go to a place that would do that. And I could be the customer of that, you know, to be honest, (laughs) but I just was, you know, leading people and one-on-one. And then eventually, I think actually a friend of mine, Joe Dadell, who had a gym at the time said, why don't you come and teach all of my trainers and they need to chill out and whatever. So I went and did a class with them and they loved it. And they're like, oh my gosh, I always want to do yoga, but you know, they're more of the gym kind of people. Yeah. And so I started a, a small class there and all the people would come and they would enjoy themselves. And then they would go and tell five friends. So things just started to, by a very word of mouth. Yeah. Uh, situation like lead me to need to feel like okay maybe I can just you know do this for fun and it was always like a for fun kind of a thing Uh I started a class in the park you know for fun made a little sign I was like free yoga over here and I never wanted to charge for it it didn't need to pay my bills so I didn't want I didn't want somebody to be able to tell me well I didn't like that so I want my money back (laughs) like if you don't like it just move along (laughs) so you know I wanted to have more of that relationship with it so, you know, eventually when the weather started getting colder, I had met Mike, my husband um, at that point. So he was holding up the flag for me with another friend, like on Saturdays. Nice. <laughs> so he had, yeah, he had a slightly bigger apartment than my tiny apartment. So we took over his living room for like a year and a half and did one class a week there. And then, you know, people just started asking, oh, can you do a class at this time? And I was like, yeah, fine, whatever. So it just kind of more and more started to happen for that. And then at that same time, I was making videos on YouTube for friends and things like that. Blogging was starting to become a thing. So I got more opportunities to to write about it. It was just easy for me in a way because there was so much that I could say that I just was holding myself back from saying like, here's five things to help you feel better. The five things aren't the answer, but if you do them, it will start you in a process of helping yourself feel better. So kind of having a sense of humor about like the five things for this or three things for that, which I think by the way, now has been totally lost and people actually think like the five things are the key. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Everything is five things. 2007 vibe of like the, like the internet is the joke of it, you know? Right. The internet is like the portal to the deeper stuff, but now it's just- Yeah, you just start and then, I mean, that was my whole idea with like, here's something from my friends, like yoga for your hangover. It's obviously not going to cure your hangover, but if you do a little bit, you feel better and you're not going to maybe drink so much tonight, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know that you've been on YouTube forever and I actually follow your YouTube channel, but I like actually went last night, went and scrolled back and scrolled oh, no. back. How, no, so I didn't. Embarrassing. No, no, no. I believe me. If you listen to my first podcast episode, I would feel the same way. People actually email me and say, oh my gosh, I've listened to episodes like one through a hundred so far. I'm like, wow. oh my God, oh God, you went back and listened to the first 20 episodes. I want to die. But um, I counted 12 years that you've been on YouTube. Yeah, I guess so. And at that time, actually it started before I started my own channel. I was, Ford was my modeling agent back then. And I found out about YouTube And I remember I had this idea, it was kind of reality show days and my friends, I mean, the people that I made friends with that were also doing the modeling could do other things. Like I had one friend that was 
she was a nutritionist kind of, that was very new back then. I'm like, oh, wow, that's so cool. So you know about food. And another girl who was a, a tr personal trainer, and this was kind of new and looked down upon, like either you were doing this or you were doing that, but doing both was like, oh, what's wrong? Why can't you pay your bills doing one or the other? Yeah. So I had this idea. I was like, these people can do things <laughs> you know, and it's interesting. And then I read about YouTube had started. So I found one of the interns that was working in the back that was doing tech stuff. And I was like, can we start a channel, you know, through the agency and we all can do stuff because you guys, you know, have the resources to do that. So we started a channel with them and they had one girl like doing fashion stuff. And then my friend was doing workout stuff and she's still a trainer and the nutritionist and all these things. And so I was doing yoga. And then, you know, after a few videos like that, I was like, I can do this on my own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what am I doing this here for? Cause they would have me say in the beginning of the video, hi, I'm Tara Styles. I'm a Ford model. And I was like, people think that that's a car. <laughs> 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 like, I don't want it. Like that doesn't make any sense. And Besides like my, you know, my ability as a model was like holding up the can of Coca-Cola. I was never like walking the runway and that whole idea of modeling in that right. way. So, so I was like, I got to, I got to break away from this kind of idea and just, you know, do your own you thing, know, just do it and see what happens. Who cares? It's the internet. You know, no one's looking. <laughs> it, it's, it is nice though. Like in terms of being an early, early adopter, I don't even know if people say that anymore. I was thinking like, Tara's an early adopter. And then I'm like, that's what we used to say in the 90s when we were doing the, I don't know if people even use that, but, but in terms of being an early adopter, that is the nicest part is that you can, it, you just feel so free to do what you really want to do. I kind of felt like that with the podcast. Like I think my first podcast, you know, maybe after two weeks after I put it out and it was with Amy Apolti, it was with, you know, a well-known teacher. Jason's best friend came over and said, how's your podcast going? And I was like, well, I've had 82 people listen to it. You know, it was like, that it's felt awesome. like a lot, right? <laughs> so that is kind of a nice thing is you feel really free to do what you want to do. Whereas I think now teachers who are, some teachers have been like begrudgingly forced online with COVID and they're like, okay, what do I do? I think it would be a little more challenging now to think about starting a YouTube channel or because there's just so many people doing it. So I don't know, do you have any advice or just thoughts for people on how to approach putting yourself out there online? Yeah. I mean, this sounds so corny, but I think, I think the worst thing that, you know, at least for myself that I can do is look at what everyone else is doing, you know, and I had the benefit of at least online, no one was there, you know, it was just cat videos, I guess. Yeah. Life, but, so no one was doing anything. So that was good. But also in person, you know, I, I felt a lot of pressure, whether it was from myself or from my yoga friends, you know, when I was putting the videos online, they would say, well, you're not doing, you know, I took Amy's training and they're like, you're not doing what Amy said. And I was like, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> so I felt that pressure of, I really want to do this in my own way. And I don't want to offend anybody, but also I feel strongly that I'm just going to do it and see what happens. And I'm just literally talking to my friends or whoever wants to, whoever can get a benefit from me. And I think, I think the, the problem now, a lot of maybe younger people, but I think even people our age that feel stressed out by, you know, the internet, think of it as you have to be, everything has to look a certain way. And I just don't, maybe it's naive, but I just don't believe that. I think that, you know, there's enough for everybody. And if you know what you're doing and you're specific and you, you're comfortable and you just share that, whether you have a fancy camera or an iPhone or, you know, your background is clear or not, like it, there's really enough people that will find you to sustain you. And I've always, 
I've always just felt like that, whether it's a class in the park or a YouTube video or anything, it's sort of like the people that need to find you will. And, and it's pretty easy to find everybody if you're on all of the, the typical stuff. So I think, I think people get spend too much time buried, you know, at home in the phone and instead of creating and doing stuff. And I think, you know, maybe I got lucky in my timing moving to New York. I used to kind of think of myself as pounding the pavement. I would just walk around. I'd like leave my apartment with my backpack with snacks and everything and just go out and see what, see what I could drum up, see what would happen, see what kind of connections I could make. And then by the time I went home, there's nothing else to do. Nothing for me could happen inside of my apartment, mm-hmm. which is now it's the opposite. Everything mm-hmm. happens at home. So instead of spending that time distracting and looking and comparing, you know, I think people can spend that time, you know, nourishing and learning, but then creating. I think there's that balance of like, oh, I'm going to learn something from somebody or read a book about something else or like sleep or take care of myself. But then I really need to create because if you're not creating, you're just, I think, watching too many things and, and, and being jealous or, you know, and all of those variations is so unhealthy, <laughs> you know, even if it's your, your friends you're supporting, but I think those endless hours spent looking at how everyone else is doing things is never going to work for you anyway. You can never do what someone else says. There's no formula. I mean, I even have people that have said, oh, well, you know, you follow this formula of like, you made YouTube videos and you started blogging, then you wrote a book, then this. And I was like, that's not a formula. <laughs> it's just yeah. kind of, those are the people that came and said, okay, you know, I was wanting to do different ideas. And, you know, a lot of things didn't happen that could have been a formula for somebody else. You know, I tried to make this TV show with my friends, like you can be the trainer and I'll do this and I'll do that. And then I realized, oh, to do a reality show. And in that climate, you had to like be a complete train wreck. And I, I don't want to like pretend to go there. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So a lot of things didn't work out. So I don't think there is a formula at all. And I think, you know, maybe people that are listening and, and feeling worried about, well, you know, I don't look a certain way, like somebody else I see is successful, or, you know, my life isn't fancy or whatever. I think just, you know, do the thing that you're really good at and, and in your comfort zone, really share that and, and don't share what you're not comfortable sharing. And, you know, maybe it takes some time, but I, I do think that that's a sustainable path to, you know, to sustaining yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that you talk about creating. Um, I haven't thought of it in that way in a long time, but it's really true. I mean, you can really look at, well, this is the beauty of self-publishing, right? I mean, mm. it was a, a little bit of a hard lesson for me to learn because I worked at Yoga Journal where for a photo shoot, like they worried about a piece of lint on the shirt, right? Mm-hmm. Like we'd have to reshoot <laughs> something or just the level of detail of getting everything just, to, 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 you know, and I'm doing air quotes, just mm-hmm. right. It got really stifling after a while. And like, we knew that, but we couldn't get out of that. It was just sort of the expectation of publishing at that time. Mm -hmm. And I think that is one of the beautiful things about the internet is people just doing yoga in their living room has become, you know, that's, that's normal. Now you, you, you watch your friends or you like, you know, and you like to see what they're doing. And, and like you said, it's, it's fine. Like people actually want to see more of the reality than someone whose shirt has never had lint on it before. Yeah. You know, it's just not, I, I just don't think that's what people really even are drawn to anymore. Also, just like you said, kind of realizing that there's enough kind of maybe getting out of the scarcity mindset is I think what you're getting at, like there's billions of people now mm-hmm. who can all be connected. And so, you know, if you just 
keep at it, you can find your people and your people can find you. And there are just so many, like, I just know this from neurodiverse communities too. It's like, they're all finding each other. And a lot of that is a beautiful thing to connect with your people in that way. I mean, you've done both, right? You've, you've had in person in a studio and then you, you've cultivated online for such a long time. Do you, on a personal level, prefer one over the other, or do you feel like they're just very different animals? Oh gosh. Well, this is kind of timely, but you know, before last year happened, we had this kind of corny tagline, online is great, in person is magic. Uh (laughs) And now of course we only have great, which is fine, but I love both. I feel like, I don't feel a lack of especially now I feel like it's a, it's a renaissance again with this live feeling. This is very new for me. We have an app now and just to be able to go live with people or live on Instagram or whatever these social platforms are, that to me it was you make a video, you put the video up or you make a series or a course and you have somebody edit it so it looks a little bit better. And then you put that up. You know? <laughs> so for me, those were those two kind of levels of things that I was doing. But, but yeah, the live thing I think is really a great way to connect and you know whether it's on zoom or you know just people in the comments in our app we have you know just comments so before and after people kind of check in and we've done some things on zoom and you know kind of group and community meetups and i think it is really really cool way to to do this and it almost makes me appreciate more the the luxury of in person you know and yeah. i know you guys travel or have traveled a lot too and you know when you go to places like Berlin or France or a different city, you know, it's, it's wonderful. People get to come there, but not everybody gets to come there. That's like, it's a super luxury, even a, you know, relatively inexpensive city, you still have to take time off of your life and your work and it's a big deal. So I think it's definitely made me, you know, I think about that a lot then, you know, we always talk about that and, you know, when we get together in groups, but even more now, how much of a luxury that is. And, you know, I don't really miss it because I know that it's going to come back and it's yeah. going to be fine. And, you know, it's sort of, you work with what you have and, and that's great. And I love the connection of people, whether it's online or in person, but I'll take, I'll take whatever I can get, you know, yeah. <laughs> with people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. That's nice. yeah. I'm the same. I mean, I think Jason is so much more comfortable in person and I'm so much more comfortable online only because that's, what we've had to kind of do the last eight years since we had our kid, you know, mm-hmm. I've been mostly home with her and this is my option. And, you know, he's, and he kind of had to go out and so, but he is now, he's getting used to it. He's, he's, he's getting a little more comfortable, but I want to talk about Strala now. It sounds to me like you've blended a, a lot of discipline, different disciplines now. And it also sounds like you're building up like a network of teachers. I don't know if you call them teachers. So yeah, I would love to, to hear about what, what Strala looks like these days. Yeah, well, I think that kind of happened in the laboratory feeling like having a studio and, you know, me always just saying, oh, it's just yoga or, you know, oh, it's just, you could do something that actually feels good and not push yourself and always making an excuse why I'm doing the thing differently than, you know, whatever they took somewhere else and, and them liking it, you know, I would be like, ah, don't worry about it. Uh (laughs) And then I'm thinking, you know, and then Mike telling me he grew up his whole life doing all this Tai Chi stuff. And whenever we would have conversations about Tai Chi and his upstairs neighbor just coincidentally happened to be this like great Tai Chi master. And he would come down and be like, Hmm, that looks like Tai Chi to me. And I'd be like, what? (laughs) 
<laughs> Maybe like how you're moving, you know, continuously and softness is so much a part of it. I'm like, yeah, but that's just, you know, normal. He's like, that's not normal. That's Chi. And I'm like, okay, fine. You know, so I would learn a little bit more about Tai Chi. And then I'm thinking, well, that's just how I've always felt about life and yoga and how to move myself with dance and moving in harmony with yourself. And then as far as connection with adjustments, I've always, you know, favored the side of help people if they're having a problem and, and don't push people into something for the sake of just pushing. So I, I started to learn about, you know, just leaning a little bit. And then another ended up being on our faculty person came to class, Sam Berlin, who's like actually used to work on my ballet teacher in New York in the seventies at the school. So it all kind of comes wow. back. He used to work on ABT yeah. dancers and his, he ran this uh, shiatsu school in New York for a long time. And he's like, what you're doing is shiatsu. And I'm like, what? I don't know anything about shiatsu. <laughs> I'm like, well, can you teach me? And he's like, the basics of making a good connection with yourself before you make a connection with others, not pushing with your hands, but moving from your center. And I was like, yeah, but that's not, that's just like not being a jerk. <laughs> <You know? Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd be like, no, 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 like that's shiatsu. Like in, you know, Iyengar yoga, like you would move your finger this way and this, this way. And like the alignment is here in a point and then you forget it and then you go to the next one and you're doing something that's more continuous. And I'm like, yeah, but I just like that. And he's like, but that's shiatsu. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'd be like, okay, fine. You know, like, <laughs> let me learn this thing. And so the more I learned about kind of those three pillars, but using the, the form vocabulary of yoga is it just started to make sense. But it, you know, when people just come for a class, at least of mine or people that have, have worked with us, they don't pick out those three things. They just think it's kind of an, an easygoing, you know, oh, I feel better. I didn't feel forced to do something. I wasn't ready. You know, it was very relaxed atmosphere. I was challenged, but I'm not, it's not in a tense way. So there's a lot of common things that people say, but they're probably not going to pick out those disciplines, which is right thank God, because it would just be so corny if I'm like, and now we will do Tai Chi. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. yeah, but that's definitely, you know, what we're focusing on and thinking about and, and, and like cultivating the space of it. And with the, 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 we call our teachers guides, because I just felt like I was so young that I didn't want to identify, I couldn't identify just in my life as a word called a teacher that to me was somebody important. <laughs> and, like, and Mike also was a mountain climber for so long. And he was t telling me about this word guide. And I was like, okay, well, you know, when we first made the, you know, very low budget website, I just put, you know, guides and like our names. So that kind yeah. of, you know, stuck, I guess. So you are so down to earth. You are so <laughs> incredibly successful. Like if I rattled off all the things, which I'm sure people rattle off to you all the time, all the books and Deepak Chopra connection and all these things, you're so successful. And you're, how have you kind of kept your wits about you over the years? Oh, I don't know. I think all those things are just, I don't feel like that at all. Like it's embarrassing to me, I think hearing a bio because I feel like Actually, I heard Deepak speak at our friend Mind Body Green did this conference and they gave him this like award, avocado award or something like that. <laughs> and he said something that like really made sense to me. So I didn't do any of it. It just happens, you know, and I'm there. So I feel like I feel really grateful that I've got I get to meet so many interesting people that help me. And I've gotten so I guess I would even just say lucky people coming at the right time and saying, I'm going to. I'm going to send you over here. I'm going to, I like what you're doing. I'm going to help you. And that's been a huge part of my life that I haven't taken for granted and shown up at all the right times. And I think it's also just 
just such a normal part of life too. I think when we're doing the right things, it kind of brings us in that right direction because I couldn't have planned out any of this stuff. Again, like I just wanted to be a dancer or I wanted to like maybe have my own dance company someday or dance with Paul Taylor for my mm-hmm. whole career. So I think it's just like my ballet teacher was telling me, like you're, you have to listen to yourself and, and be in the right place. And I've just, you know, learned over and over that when I do that, you know, whether it's something that's going to give me some sort of bio status or just something cool that happens, I'm usually in that right place. So yeah. It's been well, useful. again, that's very <laughs> modest, but I have to say you also have to, it also requires that a person does show up and like, just, I do think it, it requires certain measures of courage. And I wonder if there's like anything you can look back on, like any project or maybe your first book, book proposal, I don't know, a, a TV show that you were trying to do where you were like actually nervous to leap forward and do it. And you just kind of got yourself to show up. Like, it, you know, it all feels very, very organic. Like, and I, I believe you, like I'm not at all questioning that, but just for people out there listening who want to make things happen for themselves, was there anything that, where you had to push yourself out of your comfort zone? That's what I'm getting. Oh, I mean, I think all of it for sure. I mean, especially when it starts to feel easy, I guess, or it's happening and then it's right in front of me. I think that my first instinct is to self-sabotage. Like, oh, this great thing is happening. Like, I'm not, I shouldn't, I shouldn't go, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like I met Deepak, it was so weird. I was writing a book with Rodale was the publisher and I didn't know anything about you know, when the book comes out and this was like 2009 and they said, okay, you need a cover blurb. So the fame, basically they just told me the the most famous person I know is going to write this. I'm like, well, I don't know anybody famous, but I just said kind of jokingly, well, I I really think Deepak Chopra would, would like what I'm doing, you know? (laughs) So why don't you guys call him? Cause you guys know people and I, I don't, you know? So the next day, you know, to my little website, I get an email from this tiny company they're offering me a hundred dollars to come and teach a class for this little event. But then they said, Deepak Chopra is going to be there giving a talk. And so Mike at the time was like, don't go like, you don't want to do something for a hundred dollars. Then you'll never get $500. You know, I'm like, I'm just going to go. Cause like, I want to meet Deepak. Yeah. So I go and he comes up to me and he says, I know who you are. And I'm like, why do you know who I am? He's like, I, I know about your YouTube videos and your blogs and things like this. And I was writing for Huffington post and he was friends with Ariana. So he had seen whatever, some stuff. And he said, I want to do this yoga app with you. And here's a number. And this guy's going to call you like tomorrow or whatever. And I'm like, okay, so that just happened. <laughs> and then, and then more awesome. and more started to happen. And I, I did the app with him. And, and right there, he came up to me and he said, you know, will you come over to my apartment when I'm in town and, and teach yoga to me and my wife, Rita, in the mornings? And I, I just laughed. And I said, you don't need anybody to teach you yoga. (laughs) And then he said, yeah, but you're going to take me through yoga and you're not going to tell me about yoga. (laughs) I'm like, Uh I would never tell anybody about yoga because you can read about that in a book or like study with somebody who studies the history or, you know, from a different kind of perspective. But I just like to do the yoga with people and let them experience it. And, you know, I didn't say all that because like, you know, I just didn't feel comfortable explaining myself, but it was all kind of there. So, you know, from that moment forward, I just felt adopted by him. Like he would call and he'd say, I'm going to, somebody's going to call you in five minutes and, you know, I'm going to set up this meeting or I, you know, he would just be nice to me and in this very family kind of way. And I just feel like people are ready to do that for people when you're, when you're taking good care of yourself and you're doing, when you're doing the right thing. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I'm always scared. Like anytime something good happens, 
you know, that first fight or flight is like, you know, you don't deserve this run in the other direction. And then like, no, yeah, stop. <laughs> don't breathe. <do> that. <laughs> feel your feet on the floor, Tara. Feel, feel your feet on the floor. It's going to be okay. And it's going to yeah. be fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, even just talking to you, I was like, oh my gosh, she worked for Yoga Journal for so long. I'm so nervous. Like she wrote me this email and like, I'm like, oh no. And then I'm like, just do it. You'll have a good conversation. Maybe you'll make a friend, you know? So yeah, every, yeah. everything for me. Yeah. Is yeah. yeah, yeah. Gotta, I mean, there's so many great authors now that talk about this stuff, like, you know, Brene Brown and yeah. that whole thing. And they just, yes, that makes sense how I felt, you know, yes. <laughs> just do it. Totally. <laughs> she is amazing. She's like, oh Yeah. Okay. So we have another thing in common, which is that we both work with our husbands. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know. I just had to bring it up. I mean, yeah. I don't know a lot of people who before COVID worked mm -hmm. with their partner as in like in, because your husband, he's a yogi, right? And, and yeah. I mean, he actually helps with the business and te yeah, yeah, he yeah. teach as well. Yeah. He, well, now he's like the Tai Chi guy. He's okay. like, I just want to do the Tai Chi. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he does yoga sometimes with, with groups and stuff, but he loves focusing on the Tai Chi now. So, yeah. so it's good for him. I don't even know if I have a question. I just love relating yeah, to the fact that I have a long talk, but it is true that like now other people understand because of COVID yeah. who are home with their spouses on the zoom calls. I joke, yeah. I mean, everybody, and anybody who's sort of in our community knows that I have teased Jason mercilessly for the past year because he, when he gets on Zoom to teach his class, which as I said, you know, our house is like 1200 square feet. So you hear everything everywhere. He talks so loud. We call it yell talking. My daughter started calling it, oh my God, dad's yell talking again. Oh my gosh. His house just, his voice just booms through the house. So I have taken to wearing earplugs when awesome. teaching because it's kind of the only thing I can do. So maybe I'll ask you what people have asked me, which mm. is like, how do you kind of separate your work life with your relationship life? And I will tell you, I'll just be upfront. Like, yeah, I don't have a perfect answer to this. Like we don't always do it very well, you know, and we have to like be very conscious of, okay, we're going to stop working now. And we're going to try to go do something just as, you know, for fun and just as, as spouses. We can do it more with the kid, obviously, mm -hmm. but just us, it's like a work in progress. Yeah. I, wonder if I don't think there's ever that. like an end point of, oh, here I am on my date. <laughs> stuff. Like I haven't been on a date with Mike since, I don't know, a long time. But yeah, I think it's the same and, you know, probably similar to you guys, like our, our actual life hasn't changed that much since the pandemic. I mean, everything's online, so we're not moving around the world and obviously doing all the in-person stuff, but we're always together as a family kind of trading off. I mean, we used to have a babysitter. <laughs> we're, we're trying to be more careful and, you know, not, not doing that at the moment. I think that'll be nice going to Illinois for a while, <laughs> having some, oh, yeah. some vaccinated babysitters. Yeah. <laughs> really nice. My parents and grandparents and just to see them. But, but so our life has been, you know, pretty similar to, you know, without seeing outside people, which I think is stressful in ways that I don't even really realize, you know, I can kind of get in the flow and me doing my thing and we trade on and off with her. Like we have a pretty good, I wouldn't say like super rigid schedule, but like I have a class most mornings and then, so they'll go up and have breakfast and then we all play. We'll like go and, you know, go to CVS for the day. That's the big outing right now. <laughs> you know? totally. like, let's go get some Play-Doh at CVS. <laughs> oh my God. So relatable. 
for everything, you know, and then we come home or like we will drive like an hour and a half to go to the Shake Shack and have French fries and, and milkshakes, you know, oh, <laughs> so, that's so cute. Yeah, that'll be the thing. So, so yeah, I mean, it's sort of like dinner and a movie in the car right now, but it's all together. But we had like a really rough time of it. I think when we had the studio was the roughest time because, you know, it was in New York and I was starting to get busier and more opportunities traveling alone for different projects and partnerships. So I was kind of, you know, going to Asia and then taking a flight back to be in Barcelona. And then he would come and then we would do a training together and then I would run back to the studio. So I just didn't miss like the Saturday class, you know? <laughs> so yeah. It was just, you know, ridiculous. And, and also I'm a very bad manager of yoga teacher people. So that's not something I'm very good at. <laughs> And I would take everybody out to coffee and see everybody's doing. And they're like, no, no, I just want this and this. And so it was just not, not a good time for us individually to, as a couple together. So that, that would have been a good point of a reality show because it would, probably would have yeah. you know, been really easy to make fun of us. But mm -hmm. so we had a really, really hard time then. So changing things and slowing down and choosing to travel and then stay in a place longer instead of bouncing and going everywhere all over because, you know, you get a phone call if something exciting happens, choosing to change the schedule at the studio and focus on what do we actually want to spend our time doing and then just hurting some feelings of, well, the studio is not going to exist like this. So I'm going to do this like this. I'm not going to have all these people in my life and sorry, but it's the best for everybody. So yeah. that was a big rip off the band-aid moment and then things just started to you know now we just laugh about things i mean it's it's silly and ridiculous but daisy makes one we say oh dad is doing the emails again and <laughs> mom is gonna go do the yoga <laughs> so it's like it's just we're super boring right now but we don't have free time to do fun stuff or you know we just kind of goof off after she goes to bed or like you know we'll have a snack and you yeah. know just talk for a few minutes and then pass out. So <laughs> yeah, your daughter's still young. Is how old is she? Is she three, four? Yeah. Yeah. She, she'll be four on Monday. So okay. I mean, it's, it's kind of a good time. Cause there's not, she's not in school. She was in a little Montessori in Utah for a little bit, which was great. Cause it was an all day thing. And we're like, what? We have all this time. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But she hadn't, since we came back to New York, we just didn't, we didn't, we didn't do it. We didn't want to pay like somebody's salary to send her to school for two hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's a little different. Yeah. Yeah. We're like, I don't really get the value, <laughs> but, yeah. but I know it's, you know, other people do so, but we just, you know, we, so we kind of just started this whole family unit for the moment thing. Good for you. That's intense. My daughter's eight and we were fortunate that her school went back. She's, she's at a small private school. So oh, cool. yeah. Uh, because she was driving us crazy and we were <laughs> driving her crazy. So our dates now basically after this, we're going to like a furniture store to walk yeah, around yeah, yeah. and then go get a croissant or something like that. Daytime dates That's while awesome. she's in school. And we kind of laugh. We'll look at each other. And we're like, she'd be so mad if she knew like we were 13 <laughs> right now without her <laughs> something like that. Because like you said, everything is just so close knit right now and you can't really see friends and have people over and, you know, go get pizza or whatever. It's just like very, very, it's so interesting. It's like such a, it's going to be so interesting to look back on this time. Yeah. I hope it comes <laughs> Soon enough. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. So you have a new book. Yes. It's called Clean Mind, Clean Body, a 28-day plan for physical, mental, mental, and spiritual self-care. So I read your book. I love your book. And like the big theme that came through for me was 
this theme of slowing down. And I wonder if that's kind of what you were hoping for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> Nailed yeah, it. I, mean, I think at least I write, I like to write about what I'm interested in or have not going through at the moment. Cause I think I don't, I couldn't do both at the same time, but have been through and maybe are on the little bit of the other side of going through it. But yeah, you know, in the 2000. 12, 13, 14, when, when all of those things that, you know, are in my bio were happening, I was probably the most miserable, to be honest, <laughs> you know, or just wasn't even aware that I was on the path to something more miserable, like moving a, a mile lot. a minute. It's a yeah, lot. And, yeah. And, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm grateful for all of that too, but just seeing that there's a better way to be and it's not a slowing down doesn't need to be about shutting yourself off and doing nothing, but it's for me was more of a redirect and and doing more purposeful things in a way that that made more sense and actually started leading to better relationships and better projects and better all of the things that I actually wanted. So I had to kind of get through the itchy and do all of the things to see, oh, I need to slow down. <laughs> so, I, so I took some time off from writing books and this, this idea came through my literary agent. I was talking about just doing a book called Slow Down. She's like, eh. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. It could have been good. Who knows? Yeah. But these, this is how these things shake out. But, you know, but, but really that's the theme of looking at all of the ancient wisdoms. And I think a lot of people, wherever we are in our journey, maybe go through this thing of, well, here's this thing called Ayurveda and I have to learn how to cook Indian food. Or maybe I can learn how to do this in my own life, use my grandmother's recipes and whatever's around me and have things feel more like me. So I think in my own quest to learn all of this stuff, I observe that the lessons I was learning were, were also pulling me further away from myself, or I was finding myself in the, the Indian district in New York and like buying little statues and like, maybe this will help me feel better, yeah. <laughs> yeah. which is all awesome and cool. But then it also led me back to, oh, the wisdoms come from these places and you can learn these things your entire life, but the actual wisdom should feel like a remembering. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I know that I'm not alone in that feeling intimidated by a lot of these, these wisdoms and also trying to find a way to, to make it really work for you and not a hack, but in more of lifestyle changes and choices. And just if, if you can slow down, I mean, it's already just such a big win. <laughs> yeah. For me, I feel like the more that I learn about yoga or philosophy or wisdom or whatever, the more I know that the less I'm going to remember and retain and know, and it's just not how my brain works. That's, and like you said, it's not how I live. I think, like you said, it does work for some people, but it never has for me. And I think you have to get to a place where someone tells you like, it's okay to trust yourself. It's okay to just get quiet and slow down and see what you think and feel about things. And that's kind of what I got from this book. That's kind of what I get from you is like, helping people to trust themselves and to listen to themselves and not feel like they have to shape shift in order to, to be wise, you know, yeah. and to like understand how to live your own life. And it does take time and it's good to learn all of these different things so that you can then take like, okay, that makes sense to me and that doesn't. But yeah, that was definitely a message that I got. And I also love what you said about Ayurveda because I love the principles of Ayurveda. I've never, I've never really, after like two kitchery cleanses, I was like, I never want to eat that again. I just can't, I can't. No, it doesn't um, taste good. It's hard <laughs> and just doing it, it's just, so that was pretty eye-opening for me to feel like, oh, you know, I can cook according to the, these principles. I probably do actually, but I don't necessarily have to 
follow everything to the letter. Like the rest, like the recipes themselves are less important than the principles. Yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, I think it was like my first or second day in New York, I found my way to one of those very intimidating tongue readers and they were like, you need to go home and eat white rice for three weeks. I'm like, I don't have time to do that. <laughs> so I just put it aside for a while. And, you know, the more I was getting into it, getting older, I, I, I started to get more brave asking real experts this question, which was, do you need to go to an Indian cooking school to do this? And they would all say, your great grandmother is doing this, but they're not saying that they're doing this. So take those recipes, take what you have in your, in your house and use the principles, just like you would use the principles of yoga. You know, the pose isn't going to heal you, but you doing all of the, the practice is, I'm like, why isn't this everywhere? (laughs) It's kind of like that same feeling. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's like so simple, but we make things really complicated for ourselves because we want to be something or we feel like pressure to, to prove our value or something like that. And it's like, there was one part where you said like, give up this idea that you have to be fabulous all the time. You know, you're just fine. Like you're, you are, you are more than fabulous as you are. And that is, that's kind of really what, if we want to talk about liberation, like how liberating is that to not think you have to be fabulous all the time? Oh my oh, God. Gosh. I want to put that on a post-it on my computer. Totally. I mean, everybody that's, I don't know, that that I think we're always drawn to and we're like, oh, that person has it, but they're doing it completely in their own way. I mean, they're doing whatever their art form is, but then they, then they forget about it and they let themselves through. And, you know, that's so easy to forget for all of us, you know, wherever we are on our journey. I mean, I'll look at somebody who's like, fabulous on Instagram. Like, Oh, I need to have that shirt. And I'm like, wait, I don't need that shirt. <laughs> I know. I I'm know. fine. <laughs> if yeah. I want that shirt, maybe, but I really don't need it. I probably have something similar in my closet. It's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's about like what's in the shirt. I mean, that sounds so cheesy, but you yeah. know, it's just, yeah, the shirt isn't going to do it for you. You're going to yeah, do it for yeah. you. So, <laughs> well, thank you so much, Tara. I just so enjoyed talking to you and meeting you. And I really, really love your approach and I just really, truly appreciate your, like how you are giving people permission to, to be themselves and move and breathe and feel good in their bodies. Like that's what it's all about to me. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad to <laughs> finally connect with you. Hopefully we can be friends. Yeah. Likewise. Likewise. <laughs> absolutely. Okay, everyone. Thanks for listening. I will put links to Tara's YouTube channel, her website, and her book in the show notes page. And I'll also put a link there to join the waitlist for my upcoming content blueprint for yoga teachers program. It's going to launch really soon. And if you get on the waitlist, you get a little early bird link. (laughs) Okay. Thanks again. Enjoy your practice this week. I'll see you next week.